This is episode number 93 with the chair of the Titus Center for Franchising, Dr. John Hayes. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years, and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side, and I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often, it's a one-size-fits-all approach, but not with 919 Marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now, let's drop into the episode. Welcome and thank you for dropping into another episode of the Path to Freedom podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. John Hayes. Dr. Hayes is currently serving as the chair for the Titus Center of Franchising, which is a center of excellence at Palm Beach Atlantic University. The center is dedicated to educating the next franchise generation. And since 2017, the center has helped students master the principles of business franchising while also providing professional education for people who want to work in franchising, buy a franchise, or franchise their business. I'm very excited to have the chance to talk with Dr. Hayes because I absolutely love what he and the Titus Center for Franchising are doing. I've always found it to be interesting that franchising is not talked, not, not taught or not really even talked about in uh, any sort of business school. You know, I went to business school. I know a lot of other people uh, that went to business school. A lot of the people I work with in franchising have attended business school. 
None of us ever heard or learned anything about franchising while we were in business school. The vast majority of the people that I know that are involved in franchising, franchise owners, franchisors, uh, other franchise professionals, they somehow or another stumbled into franchising. It was not that they you know, specifically sought out a career in franchising. Yet, franchising is incredibly prevalent across the, the United States. It's a huge part of our economy and even makes up a couple percentages of our total gross domestic product, employs countless number of people across the country. So why is it never talked about or, or taught as a methodology for doing business to you know aspiring business professionals? So anyways, Dr. Hayes is working to uh, change that and help younger people understand franchising. And if it's something that they want to pursue, create a platform to help them do just that. So a lot of great information from Dr. Hayes. He's a, an absolute professional and a thought leader when it comes to franchising, shares a little bit of his background. He's been involved in franchising since 1978 uh, and just brings an absolute wealth of information. So without further ado, let's drop in with Dr. John Hayes. All right, Path to Freedom listeners, welcome back. Very, very, very excited about this episode today. I have the privilege of being joined by Dr. John Hayes. Dr. Hayes is the chair of the Titus Center for Franchising, which he's going to tell us a lot more about today. Uh, but Dr. Hayes, thank you so much. I really appreciate you making time to drop in here on the Path to Freedom podcast with me. Hey, it's a pleasure, Wes. Thank you very much. And hello to all your uh, viewers and listeners. And it's my privilege to be with you today. Well, thank you again. And, and so little context for the audience. Dr. Hayes is someone that if, if you're involved in franchising for any period of time, you've probably heard his name numerous times. Um, very well respected thought leader within the world of franchising. And I was fortunate to get an introduction. I mean, literally less than a week ago from from when we're now recording this podcast. So he was gracious enough to you know, quickly reply, yes, I'd be happy to, to come on the podcast with Wes. And, and he made himself available in a short period of time. So just to give you a, a sense of the type of guy Dr. Hayes is, because he's also a very busy guy and, and has a lot of uh, very cool things going on. So um, Dr. Hayes, quickly give us kind of a, a quick overview of what the Titus Center for Franchising is all about. We educate franchising's future generation. And by that, I mean, we take uh, have about 50 undergraduate students. I've got a sprinkling of graduate students in our MBA program okay. currently who are studying franchising as a concentration, not as a major, not as a, a minor, but a concentration, 12 credit hours. So they're going to get a major, let's say, in marketing, which many, many people do. I know you've got one. Yep. You've got a major in marketing. And, you know, that and I teach marketing, so uh, you know I'm, I'm all for marketing, but that doesn't get you very far. You come nope. out of school with a degree in marketing, management, international business, probably better, accounting, definitely better. Yeah. But you're going to compete with thousands and thousands of others from great schools that have those same degrees. Now, you come out of Palm Beach Atlantic University, little private university in West Palm Beach and you've got a degree in marketing with a concentration in franchising, 
you've got three job offers within 30 days or less. Easy. I guarantee it because Easily. that's what's happening uh, right now. A marketing degree isn't a practical degree, a philosophy degree, uh, art history. These are biology. These aren't practical degrees. Nursing is a practical degree. Pharmacy is a practical degree. A degree with a concentration in franchising is a practical degree. You can go to work for somebody and give them value immediately in this case, because you know about franchising and very few people know about franchising. It's such a good point. And <clears throat> I mean, there's thousands and thousands of franchisors out there. So there's a pretty you know, deep pool of companies that would be lining up to yeah. talk to a you know young person right out of college that has already gotten some of that education uh, specifically in franchising because it's it's a different way of doing business right I mean it's it's and, and you and I chatted a little bit before recording this I do have a degree in marketing I I would swear that the word franchising was never mentioned once in the four or if it was it was not mentioned in a favorable way. Yeah. Yeah. Or just kind of glossed right over. Um, so why, well, before we go there, tell us a little bit, how did you get involved with the Titus yeah. center for All franchising? Right. how did you get well, involved in franchising in the first place? So 1979. Okay. I was in my twenties. Okay. I was a college professor at temple university, Philadelphia. I was the head of the magazine writing program. I have two degrees in journalism. Okay. which is a very practical degree because you know how to use a typewriter at the yep. time, the typewriter. Uh, you can use a keyboard. You can write. You can put thoughts together. You can write essays. You can write articles. You can write books. And that's what I was doing, teaching uh, undergraduates how to do that and working on a PhD at the same time so I could continue to teach. But college teachers make no money, no yeah. money. 1979, I was making $12,500 on a nine-month contract. I had one child. Uh, there was no hope of sending that child to a good school on that kind of money or taking a vacation. Right. So I had to freelance. Uh, fortunately, I knew how to type. Fortunately, I knew how to think. I had those journalism degrees. Mm -hmm. So I doubled my income, probably tripled my income uh, by being a freelancer and uh, got this idea that I ought to write books for people. Ah. Because nowadays, if you do a podcast, people will say, well, you're an expert, Wes, in, in franchising. And you are, you're doing, you're doing a lot of work there. Uh, but we didn't have podcasts back then. This was pre-internet. Nope. So, but if you wrote a book on a topic of any time, you were an expert. That's right. And that was that today, we call that fake news. And people <laughs> think that Trump invented that. But this was way before, this was 1979, fake news existed. And here's how. So I wrote a bunch of these books for other people. 10,000 bucks, I'd write your book. I like a, like, like as a ghost writer, like as publishing under their name? Usually as a ghost. Okay. But this guy came along out of Wilmington, Delaware, and okay. said, I'm a franchisor. A what? <laughs> I had to look that up in a dictionary, a book, <laughs> not online. You didn't uh, Google it. Nope. It was not in there. And I said, I don't know what, he helped me. He said, well, you know, McDonald's. Yeah, I know McDonald's. That's a franchise. Oh, a franchise. Okay. But what do you do? I'm in cooperative direct mail advertising. I was totally lost. What? <laughs> and you want me to write a book about cooperative direct mail? No, I don't, I don't think I could do that. So uh, I turned him down $10,000. I mean, the guy was pleading with me to write a book about cooperative direct mail advertising because he sells, he has a franchise that that's what it's couponing. You yep. go out and sell coupons. Valpac? Uh, 
Well, it's Valpac's competitor called Trimark, which has now been yeah. bought up by yeah. Money Mailer. Money Mailer, so, yep. Uh, but Valpac was the was the McDonald's of the industry. So I, I couldn't I couldn't put I couldn't put my finger on it. He said, I sell franchises for $10,000 each. I've got 50 of them. I want 5,000 of them with a book. I know I can do it. It'll help me with lead generation. You know, I was not a business guy at all. I wasn't. So then, I don't know, by the grace of God, uh, the message came to me. The book is not about cooperative direct mail advertising, dummy. The book <laughs> is about franchising. So I run to the library on this was on, I got that message in my head Saturday or Sunday. I run to the library Monday, the card catalog that nobody deals with anymore. Looked up franchise, no book. There was one little pamphlet book on how to franchise your business. Okay. This was a book on how to buy a franchise. So I called him up, said, Mr. Kinch, I've got it. It's a book about franchising, how to buy one. And we could put a chapter in there on how to franchise your business. And he said, please, well, how do we get started? I said, you send me $5,000 to get started. And 90 days later, I had interviewed 100 people and wow. I had the manuscript done. The manuscript was great. He was going to self-publish because he had a print shop. He did self-publish initially, but a New York publisher picked the book up. Fortunately, I wasn't the ghost. I wasn't just a ghost. I wrote every word of it, but my name was on it with him. Ah. He asked me to promote it because he, was, he didn't know how to promote so I started doing these uh, radio phoners across the country every day. And, in the, you know, I would sit in my, uh, my underwear at home. I definitely was not an expert on anything other than being a good typist and a, and a writer. And in Chicago radio would say, don't go away. Up next, world authority on franchising, John Hayes. <laughs> I laughed to myself thinking, I'm a world authority. Never worked for a franchise. Don't own a franchise. You know, I interviewed a hundred people and I wrote a book and that fake news, but that made me an authority. Well, the next week, somebody from Chicago would call and say, Hey, I heard you on the radio and I own this franchise and I'm having some problems. Do you know anything about uh, franchise advisory councils? Well, yeah, I, well, I didn't, but yeah, I mean, I, Somebody mentioned that in my one of my interviews, and I knew which attorney to go to to get that. Could you build one for me? Could you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I became ah. a franchise consultant. I was making, uh, in no time, six figures. I got my PhD. I left the university, which was a shock to everybody, including my family, because, hey, aren't you going to be a college professor? Right. Yeah, but not for, I got my PhD, and I was going to make $18,000 a year, nine months, <laughs> Why would I do that? Plus, the IFA had already contracted with me to start uh, sending me out on their um, regional faculty to teach about franchising. And I was going internationally on trade missions with a dozen franchisors every few months to go out to London, Paris, Japan, to um, Australia on trade missions to sell American franchise concepts internationally. Uh, I was too busy to teach. And yeah. Sure. Teaching is what I do best. It's what I love and where I make the greatest impact. And it's what I was designed, but I couldn't make any money doing it. Eventually yeah. I became a franchisee and eventually I became chairman, CEO of Homevestors of America. We buy ugly houses. I owned one of those franchises with a partner and I became CEO of the company upon the death of the founder where I was a consultant for 
a long time. And so I've been a franchisee, a franchisor, and an advisor to franchise companies since 1979. So I've done it all in franchising and found it by accident, by the grace of God. I mean, this was not, nobody ever, I have no, my father wasn't in business. I didn't, nobody influenced me. You really need to get into franchising. Yeah. You had the benefit of any of that. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, thank you for sharing all of that because it, it really is a fascinating story. And, you know, even though it may have been fake news there for, for a short period of time in the beginning, you certainly yeah, become, you know, a, a leading authority in, in all things franchising. Wes here. You may have noticed there's a franchising theme to this podcast. And that's because franchising's had a massive impact on my life. And it's the very reason I'm walking my own path to freedom. In fact, one of my companies is a franchise consulting company where I work with people to help them understand franchising and determine if it might be a good fit for them. And if it is something they want to explore, then I help them navigate the entire investigative process and ultimately find a franchise business that's a great match for them. You know, the fact of the matter is there are thousands and thousands of franchise businesses out there today. And like anything, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Even out of the many, many great franchise companies, not every one of them would necessarily be a good fit for you. You know, buying a franchise is a huge decision and you don't want to wing it. I've helped many people buy franchise businesses over the years and my wife and I have bought and own franchises today and we plan to keep investing in franchise businesses. I love helping people understand this process and help them find a business that's gonna be a great fit for them and help them accomplish their goals and ultimately create that freedom in their life that we're all looking for. The best part of all of this is that my services are free to the people I work with. And while I do love to contribute to charities and other great causes, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm compensated by the franchise companies I work with when I introduce them to someone that ends up becoming one of their franchisees. It's very similar to real estate, but with franchises. I have the privilege of working with hundreds and hundreds of the best franchise companies out there across practically every industry. So I can be absolutely confident that when I recommend someone to look at a franchise company, I'm introducing them to a very credible and proven company with a solid business model and great support. So if you think you might be interested in learning more about franchising and seeing if it might be right for you, I'd love to speak with you. Get in touch with me by email at Wes at path2freedom.com, path, the number two, frdm.com. And also check out my website at path2freedom.com, spelled the same way, where I've got a ton of resources, both franchise and non-franchise related, that will help you start down your own path to freedom. And of course, subscribe to and follow the podcast for more great advice about business ownership. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in speaking with me, please share this podcast with them. Thanks for listening to my shameless plug. Now let's drop back into the episode. So couple couple questions. One, so when you first agreed to write the book and you had this kind of realization, okay, this is what the book needs to be about. It needs to be about franchising, how to buy a franchise. You said you went out and interviewed 100 people. How did, how did you decide who you were going to interview and, and what types of people were you interviewing? Franchisors, franchisees, a mix? How did you come up with that? First call was to the International Franchise Association. Anytime you're going to write a book about something you don't know anything about, look for the trade association. Yeah. So I called Washington, D.C., 
I got a guy who I became, who I'm friends with to this day, John Reynolds, now retired. We're old guys. John has retired from IFA. He was there 40 some years and uh, told him what I was doing. He thought that was great. Nobody had done that. Uh, he said, hey, if you write the book, we're going to excerpt it in our magazine. I said, okay, great. That sounds good. Yeah. At the time, I had no idea because I was writing book after book. And I, I would write the book, collect my money, move on to the next book. It was right. not, you know, nothing, nothing stuck. I, I, I wrote a book called How to Win Productivity in Manufacturing. <laughs> and, uh, and I just needed the $10,000 because I needed to buy a house. That's right. how I got the down payment on my first home. You had so, no idea this book would would kind of set the trajectory of the rest yeah. of your career. No, this this book and franchising just never went away. So I went to IFA and IFA said, well, you need to speak to uh, to to this attorney and this attorney. And the chairman of IFA is this franchisor and he's got great franchisees. So then and, and somebody would say, well, you ought to interview this guy, Wes who's got this podcast about franchising. So I'll, I'll call you and I'll interview you. I'll say, well, who's influenced you, Wes? Oh, Eric Van Horn. Oh, he does a podcast. Let me call this guy, Eric Van Horn. Yeah. And Eric Van Horn say, oh, I got this franchisee. Like, you know, John Clancy, he owns 75 Planet Fitnesses. Oh, okay. I got to talk to that guy. Yeah. So this is, that's how I, and that's how I do it to, to this day because I've got um, nearly 70 people like you, Wes, on my advisory board at the Titus Center, that they come in twice a year, talk to my students. Uh, they, uh, they come in more than twice a year if they're involved in our boot camps and our seminars. Um, people love to come to West Palm Beach. They love, you know, yeah. coming to Palm Beach is beautiful. Yeah. So uh, I, I've got, and this is exactly how I do it. I meet people all the time, say, hey, I've got this, uh, I've, I've got a a class of students. So you want to come and speak to them, uh, join my advisory board, uh, be on a boot camp, the selling franchises boot camp. at the end of every January, we do that. Um, so we got, a, it's, it's all networking. I yeah. Think networking is, the, is what it's all about. Well, and I, I have no problem believing that at all, because one of the things that, you know, I I've seen since I've been involved in franchising it, I mean, to this day, it's still, amazes me how small and tight knit of a, a community it is within franchising, right? I mean, you and I met, spoke for the first time this morning, yeah. uh, other than exchanging a few emails and, and within, you know, 15 minutes of chatting, there were numerous people that, that we know in common, right? And that, that was without even like trying, if we compared like contact list, I'm sure there's, there's far more overlap than that. Yeah. And so well, in the 1980s, when I got really involved and I was out teaching, mm -hmm. um, a, an IFA convention only drew 500 to 600 people, the annual convention. And I spoke at every convention. So everybody knew me. Today, the IFA convention, I think this last one was 3,200, 3,300 people in San Diego. I don't know anybody. Nobody knows me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't speak at every convention anymore. My, my world became much smaller. Of course, there. It's always flattering when somebody comes and says, "I met you in 1985 when I was just starting <laughs> to franchise my business, and thank you for teaching me about the disc profile or whatever it was I was teaching at the time." Yeah, I bet. I bet that is rewarding um, and, and a lot of fun. So, yeah. so you mentioned that that you fell backwards into franchising. Um, 
I told you before we started recording, I fell backwards into franchising. You know, one of my favorite things doing the podcasts and talking to so many people involved in franchising and meeting people, everyone's got a pretty crazy story of how they somehow stumbled backwards into franchising. But the other thing I've noticed is the vast majority of people that get into franchising stay in franchising in some capacity. You don't see a lot of people that were like, yeah, I tried franchising, but I didn't really like it or it didn't work out for me. So now I do something totally different. Yeah. But you're, you're trying to, to change that a little bit, right? You're trying to make it so that not everyone has to accidentally find franchising. Um, You've kind of come full circle in your career. You're an educator. Again, you're the chair of the Titus center for franchising. Um, How did that come about? And, And then I'd love to spend some time, just drill in a little bit deeper into to what the Titus Center is all about, what the students are getting, and and then yeah. what their goals yeah. are coming out of it. All right, sure. So, uh, you know, one of the things I say along this topic of what you just introduced, and I say this over and over, when I teach a seminar, like I, I've taught A to Z's of buying a franchise for 40 years. And when I teach that, I, right out of the beginning, I say, this may not be for you because mm-hmm. franchising is not for everybody. And yep. franchisors don't like me to say that because they want to sell everybody a franchise. That, that's an unfair characterization because good franchisors under, would underline what I just said. It's yeah. not for, not everybody should be a franchisee. And Correct. there are people who have got stung by franchising, who hate franchising, who hate franchisors, sure. who hate people like me, who, um, who weren't cut out for it, did not follow the system, didn't do it right. Uh, or got a bad franchisor. There are bad franchisors. But shame on you because the United States government, not only shame on the bad franchisor, but shame on anybody who buys one because the United States government has made it so easy for you to do your research for free before giving anybody money. Nobody should get themselves into a bad franchise today with the kind of uh, uh, FDD the, the disclosure document process that we have yeah. uh, in, in America. It's idiot simple. That, I couldn't uh, agree more. I could not agree there more are, with There that. are bad franchisors and there are for bad sure. people, uh, period. So yep. franchising isn't for everybody. And not everybody should be a franchisee. Franchisors need employees and mm-hmm. franchisees need employees. Um, so there are people who want to be employed in franchising. And my students are better employees in franchising than people who don't know anything about franchising because they can go to work day one for McDonald's or United Franchise Group or any any franchise company and they can bring value to the company day one because they know what franchise, how it works and why it doesn't work. And that's the big difference that anybody else coming out of college with any degree doesn't doesn't, uh, deliver. So it's not for um, everybody. And um, it, it's not, it, it's, it's a way of life for people who like following a system that business schools for years have made fun of franchising and franchisees. Well, this is kind of a Mickey Mouse business. You're somebody else did all the hard work. Somebody else was the entrepreneur. Well, we don't, we don't take that away from anybody. Uh, whoever it was, Ray Kroc or Ray Titus, Whoever it was who was the entrepreneur, yeah, they're the ones who gambled the millions of dollars. Um, I don't have millions of dollars to gamble as a teacher, but I would like to be in a business. And if I could invest, and 
If I could invest $300,000 in a business that Ray Titus or Ray Kroc or somebody else created and gave me a model or a system and said, if you do this over and over and over, five days a week or seven days a week, or in the case of Chick-fil-A, never more than six days a week. Correct. If you follow the system, you will have a jackpot of money and a business that's worth something in 10 years or 50 years to pass on to your kids who probably won't want it or <laughs> to sell for $3 million or $30 million. Exactly. And, and should I be ashamed that I'm not an entrepreneur, that I didn't risk anything, that I didn't figure out how to make something or how to, no, I'm not embarrassed by that at all. I provided a great service by providing a shelf genie to, uh, or, or the dryer uh, vent squad or yep. the patch boys as one of my students just bought or Talum Senior Home Care. Another one of my students is a Talum Senior Home Care franchisee in Nashville. Okay, are they embarrassed that they didn't come up with that idea? No, they're not embarrassed at all. Not they're at all. They're good operators. Not at all. I, I, would, I would definitely argue that, that you know, franchising is, is not, owning a franchise is not that much less entrepreneurial then, you know, doing your own startup, right? Because one thing, you know, where people get it wrong when they're, when they buy a franchise, if, if someone fails in a franchise, I think in some cases they didn't have the right expectations going into it. They thought that they were uh, buying a business that was going to get done for them, which is not the case. You're buying a blueprint, right? There's systems, there's processes, there's a track record, there should be good resources and support. You got to do the work though, right? Yeah. You've got to follow the system. You've got to do the work. And something I talk with my candidates about is as we're working through my processes, you know, and I've heard you say this, not all franchises are created equally, but not all franchises are the same either, right? There's a big difference between owning a shelf genie and owning a McDonald's, right? Yeah. McDonald's is, you know, one of the most recognized brands in the world They've got it figured out. You're not going to have quite as much autonomy as a McDonald's franchise owner to think outside of the box and try different things. But in a franchise system like Shelf Genie, franchise owners are applauded for trying different things and reporting back to the system. I mean, my wife, youngest franchisee in that system, also top performer in the system. She's yeah. Come up with so many innovative ideas and changes to the business model. I mean, she's introduced new revenue streams to the system. So she's been able to operate in a very entrepreneurial manner yeah. while still operating within the the guardrails and the framework that that the franchise system kind of yeah. came with. So yeah. there's there's different different types of franchises in terms of the the amount of autonomy that that a franchise owner may have as well. Well, my students uh, are, uh, they want to become franchisees, but they don't want one. They want multi-brand, multi-concept. Uh, as you know, we are a Christian university at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And one of my students said, my goal is, this is a female, she works for Centown. So Centown yep. is a growing, emerging franchise up in Jupiter, Texas. I've had she the their founder first, on the show. She was their first employee uh, I think their first employee, no, not their first employee. She was their first marketing. Uh, uh, Tim, the founder, yep. contacted me and said, I'm looking for a 
I think the first employee in his operations division, uh, support, support of franchisees. And so um, I said, okay, I've got, I've got a graduate. She got a marketing degree like everybody else. Well, he said, well, I've got 40 marketing degree applicants already. I said, yeah, she's got the concentration in franchising. He said, send her to me. Yeah, she top got hired of the list. She went right to the top list. And Victoria's goal was to find a business where she could be involved with dogs. That's her passion. Okay. And her business passion is to tithe 90% of her wow. money. Wow. Wow. So, uh, she will eventually probably own multiple cent towns. She loves mm -hmm. the business. She's been there now a couple of years. Uh, she was one of my first graduates. Um, I think they now have a second of my students as an intern. So my students want to be franchise owners, but you know they're not coming out with $100,000 to invest immediately. Although we have a program that a donor gave us $300,000 that my students can use to uh, borrow from that fund to go acquire franchises. Okay. And the donor who's in real estate, well-known in real estate across the country, will mentor my student. And that's how uh, my student at, um, in Nashville bought uh, Talum Home Care. He I love used that. the Cobol Franchise Fund, borrowed $135,000, and that's how he got started in his uh, first franchise. He's on his second franchise. Another yeah. student just graduated in May, in January, before May, in January, became franchisee in Palm Beach County of the Patch Boys, yep. and uh, just joined another group buying a second brand uh, franchise as well. So my students plan to be 90% of them want to be franchisees, yep. but they work for franchise companies in the meantime. And uh, it's what I did. It's just what I did. Franchising is the type of thing that gives an opportunity to people. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. Eddie Rodriguez uh, is a, um, he is now 67 years old. He's a member of my advisory board. When Eddie, uh, Eddie's family came from Cuba and uh, settled in New York, and Eddie was the first in the family to go to college. While he was in college, and you know they didn't have money, uh, he had to earn his way. And while he was in college, he paid for his education by working for Burger King. Okay, not a bad job, flipping burgers, making burgers, uh, working the cash register. That was his part-time job. He was a very good, diligent worker. When he graduated, Burger King said, Eddie, you're pretty good at all this. How would you like to be a store manager? And how would you like to be a trainer? Eventually, Eddie became a regional manager trainer uh, for Burger King. Some okay. of his family members laughed and said, Eddie, you got a college degree and you're flipping burgers. What, you know, what's that? Well, um, Eddie thought it was a pretty good job. He was being paid pretty well and he enjoyed it. Burger King sold. First time Burger King sold, Eddie got laid off. Very disappointed. Got laid off. Moved down to Florida by this time. He and a partner got in, he, he then got into another franchise company in dry cleaning, and he worked for them for a period of time, but he loved the food business. He and a partner bought a Wendy's. Okay. And the short story is, for about the last 20 years or so, um, Eddie has been on his own, he bought out his partner, Eddie has owned 260 Wendy's. Wow. And he's now building 35 wing stops. Yep. 
Well, just a few months ago, private equity came along and mm -hmm. bought 220 of his Wendy's. Uh, at 67, he wants to slow down a little bit, still owns 40 Wendy's. Um, you know, here, here's a guy joined my board because he said, look, I need to pay back franchising. And what better yeah. way to do that than through education? What an inspiration he is for my students. Absolutely. And what an inspiration he is for franchising as a spokesman for an ambassador for franchising. A guy who, you know, he, he didn't come from a franchise or a business family, Cuban immigrants. And look what he did. Yeah, that's such a cool story. And, and there's so many people like Eddie out there, right? That's not like a, a, a unicorn type franchisee where he's got, you know, 200 some Wendy's and, and owns other brands. That's yeah. commonplace within yeah. franchising. I mean, you Absolutely. see franchise owners that have, in some cases, massive portfolios of franchises. You tell me that's not entrepreneurial. Yeah, right. Entrepreneurial. I mean, Eddie's you've got an exactly definitely an entrepreneur. Exactly. Right. I, I mean, think he, of he, it as he, he was doing, uh, you know, uh, millions of dollars a year in sales and risking his his money to go out and acquire. You know, he was in seven states with Wendy's and he's living down here in Florida. He's an yeah. entrepreneur. Absolutely. I mean, I, I used to, I don't get it anymore, but I used to get a magazine called multi-unit franchisee. Yeah. And I, I was, this was early in my franchising career, fascinated by that magazine because they'd have profiles of some of the, you know, largest franchisees in the, the country. And it would be people like Eddie. Yeah. Oh, this is their portfolio. They own 200 of this brand, 50 of this brand, 70 of this brand. They just right. sold 45 of this brand, but now they're getting into this brand over here. Yeah. You would have franchisees that would have, you know, 200, 300, 500 million dollar a year organizations. Yeah. That's um, that's yeah. entrepreneurial. The the fellow who I mentioned in Jupiter, John Clancy, who lives down here, 75 Planet Fitnesses, all in the Midwest, right, 35 right. Uh, Smoothie Kings, and uh, Buff City now is his new brand that he's developing. This guy is entrepreneurial, 40-some years old, a dynamo, and Absolutely. loves helping my students. Uh, you know, these the franchising has some of the greatest people ever. It really does. It, it really does. It's such a community I mean, I, I had a call with someone else uh, this morning that's involved in franchising, and, and he had just gotten back from a, a franchise conference, and he's a little bit newer to franchising, and he was blown away with just how how much of a community it was and how willing right. everyone was to help everyone, even if, you know, technically, yeah. you know, your company could be viewed as a competitor. Um, yeah. it, it really is. And, and, you know, to reiterate the point you made earlier, and, and this has been said you know, almost ad nauseum on this podcast up to this point, franchising is not for everyone. Business ownership's not for everyone. Right. Exactly. And, and so, so that's fine, but I think, and, and this is why I love so much what you're doing, you know, through the Titus center. So many of the people that I've worked with over the years that, that once they've really taken the time to learn franchising and do some research, they've actually invested in a franchise it's the best thing for them. They're amazing franchise owners, but they didn't have, they didn't understand all the opportunities that, that were there within the world of franchising. They needed someone to kind of help them, you know, peel some layers back, get past some, some preconceived notions. And then there was kind of a light bulb moment. I think it's a shame that more people don't at least fully understand 
everything that franchising is. I mean, we've talked about some big food brands today that everyone recognizes. I think, you know, the average person that's never spent much time researching franchising, that's what they think of when they think of franchise. They think of fast food, quick service type stuff. And that's a huge part of franchising, right? But there's there's so much non-food franchises out there as well. And I, and I love the example of, of your student in Nashville borrowed $135,000 to start a franchise, yeah. right? Because I think that's the other misconception a lot of people have is they're like, well, I could never own a franchise. I don't have millions of dollars to, exactly. to invest. You don't need it. Our first franchise business, $100,000. That, that was including our working capital once we opened. That's a multi seven-figure business for us today. And helped us go invest in our second franchise. And I can tell you, we're not anywhere close to being done. You know, we're, we're not stopping at the two brands that we have. Yeah. I want to, I want to be like Eddie one day. Yeah. <laughs> so Eddie, um, would love to, Eddie would love to, to mentor you. That's, this is the great thing about these people that if you're, they are just so gracious with their time. Yeah, it, I, I have no trouble believing it because that's always been my experience with people yep. in, in the franchising community. Yep. So so the Titus Center is is a concentration. Um, and, and as you've told us, most of the students coming out of of the program, their at least their ultimate goal is they want to own franchises. They want to be business um, yeah. They, they may work for franchisors, you know, in the meantime. And, and I think that's great. I, I think it's the same path you had. It's the same path I had. And, and I can absolutely tell you that. I, I think the franchisors for the brands we own would agree. Um, I feel like we're better franchisees because I've been on the franchisor side of the table, yeah. right? Like I've, I sure. can see it from both, both sides. Um, I, I think we had realistic expectations coming in that, hey, it's not the franchisor's job to build the business for us. Um, yeah. I'm curious, you, you mentioned the, the seminar that you've taught for, for 40 years, the A to Z's of buying a franchise. Um, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that, that you have seen people make or, or what are some of the biggest mistakes people run the risk of making when it comes to investing in a franchise and, and maybe, yeah. maybe not getting it right. Okay. And it's pretty simple. Uh, first of all, they think that the franchise disclosure document, because it sounds like it's a legal document and it's not, right. they think they should give that to their attorney and that they don't have to read it. Big <laughs> mistake. Yeah. FDD has to be written in plain English mm -hmm. and it's meant for the investor to read. And still it's intimidating because it's 23 points of information that the government requires the company to disclose in plain English before you give them $1. You, you're entitled to have it for a minimum of two weeks before you can legally give them any money or before yep. they can legally take any money. Yep. So and it's it's a minimum of two weeks. Yeah, it's usually far. It's usually yeah. far longer than that. You know, exactly. even if someone does end up signing, yeah. But people will say people will say to me, "Listen, they pulled one over on me. I didn't know this was going to happen." Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's item um, nine of yeah. the franchise disclosure document. Did you read it? No. What's that? 
the document they had to get. Oh, no, no, I gave that to my attorney. Shame yeah. on you. Right. Shame on you. Your mistake. You need to do your own due diligence. Well, could I hire somebody? No, you could hire somebody, but I don't. You know. No, why would you hire somebody? Okay, second thing, you didn't talk to anybody. You didn't go to a discovery day. Now, a good franchisor won't sell you a franchise if that's the case. Correct. Good yes. franchisors will make you come to their discovery day, maybe at your expense. Good franchisors will want to know who did you talk to among our franchisees and then go to that franchisee and say, hey, Wes says he talked to you. What do you think of Wes? Right. Is that somebody we want as a franchise? Now, all franchisors are not created equally. Some are better than others. Some need you to pay them that franchise fee today so yeah. they can pay the payroll next week. That's true. And they don't care if you're cut out for it or not. Yeah. But good franchisors don't do that. Good, so these good are the franchisors award franchises, exactly. right? They have it structured exactly. as an approval process. Exactly. You have to first get approved. Exactly. You got to qualify. Can... That's right. Yeah. And so then, so people say, well, that FDD, it's too, okay. Forget about reading the FDD for the moment. Get the FDD. Go to item 20. Do you know that in item 20, the franchisor is forced to give you name, address, phone number, email address of their franchisees? These are their customers. You could make now a little database. Take If they've only got 50 franchisees, put all 50 email addresses in, into your database and then uh, contact them with a sweet little letter and ask for an opportunity to call them to do a little interview with them or to send them an email with five or six questions. And out of the 50, 12 of them are going to say yes. At least, and yeah. They don't respond to you. Just call them. The phone number is there. Just call them and you'll get three or four to talk to you. And, yep. be, and they do that because somebody did that for them when they bought a franchise. 100%. And don't read the FDD. Forget it. Just say, you only have to ask about five questions. And I have a book on, my most popular book on uh, Amazon is 101 Questions to Ask. It's a little booklet, but it sells every day. 101 questions to ask before you invest in a franchise. The most important question to ask is, would you buy this franchise again, yes, knowing sir. what you know today? And if seven out of 10 say no, throw that FDD away. Yeah, don't, don't even bother, bother with reading it. it. Don't and bother. Move on to the next one. Yeah, that's that's such good advice. I you know, I call it validation, right? Yeah. When you're when you're talking with franchise owners for a brand you're researching, learning from their experience. Yeah. I and I tell every single person I work with, that is by far the most valuable part of the research you can go through right, is, is hearing from franchise owners, learning from them, because you're exactly right. They're willing to talk to you because someone else did it for them. They remember how valuable that was for them. Yep. They also have no incentive to, to sugarcoat it for you, right? I do these validation calls for both of the brands that we own, and I, I tell people like it is. I tell them what we love about the business, what we love about how the franchisor supports us, I tell them about the challenges in the business. Every business is going to have challenges. I tell them things that, hey, I, I wish the franchisor would focus a little more on helping us in this area. And this is feedback I've given the franchisor. And hey, my franchisor is very open to feedback. That's something yeah. that that I would want to hear. So that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Good there's, to know. There's, 
There's no reason. So you're you're right. I mean, I, I use this line so often with people I work with looking at franchises. If you do the research the right way, there should be no surprises on the back end of becoming a franchisee. Exactly. I, I can't think of another investment opportunity out there where someone can do as much due diligence without any sort of a commitment or any real skin in the game um, as you can with a franchise. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's just a beautiful model. And the people who make fun of it don't understand it. Nope. Uh, people who think that, you know, it, it's not, I know we say it's turnkey. That's probably a bad because it gives you the idea, okay, well, let me go pay 50000 get the key, put it in the door, turn it, and hey, I'm a millionaire. Right. Okay, come on. It doesn't work that way. You know, there's also this great advantage because there are people who are not cut out to start a franchise from the ground up, from ground zero. You know, you, you started your franchise, I assume, there wasn't one there before. You started it from ground zero. Correct. But now... You've had it there for five years or however long it's been that you and your wife have established it. You've got a million dollars in sales coming through every year. All right. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do all that pain and misery that you and your wife went through, but I want to own that business and I'm willing to pay the multiple to That's acquire right. uh, that business. And you probably know that there are some, you have some um, colleagues who are franchisees in your network who could be doing a million plus, they're not because they're not doing what you would do. And you could go acquire those for uh, a small amount of money, maybe a quarter of a million dollars and get them out of their misery. And you can build that up to a million. And okay, that's another opportunity for people to get into franchising. Yeah. So there are lots of ways to get into franchising. Not everybody you don't need a million dollars. You don't need to be in the food business. You don't need to work seven days a week. There are franchises five days a week. There are some part-time franchises as well. There are some that allow absentee ownership, not very many, and you, you shy away from those. Uh, but there are plenty of good franchises where you don't have to kill yourself to be in a business that you really enjoy. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing with with you know, the, the franchising model in general that I think maybe some people don't really understand enough about franchising to really think this through. There's exceptions to this, but the vast majority of franchises out there, the, the business model is designed for scalability, right? Yeah. Franchisors don't really make their money on the upfront fees. That's not the business model that, that really works. They, they shouldn't. To your point, there are franchisees or franchisors that rely on those fees. Yeah, but and, and even if that's a profit center, it's it, it shouldn't be the, the primary revenue stream for a good franchisor. It's the royalties, right? And then other franchisees maybe or franchisors are vertically integrated. They've got revenue streams at a manufacturing level or something of that nature. But it's through it's it's through having long-term successful franchise owners that are continuing to grow their business over time yeah. that franchisors really thrive right yeah. so because of that the vast majority of franchise businesses are designed to be more than just a job for the franchise owner right so the role of the owner in most instances is not necessarily to be the person on the front lines, providing whatever product or service the business provides. They may do some of that in the beginning, 
But long-term, the goal is for the franchisee to work on their business, not in their business, yeah. right? Exactly. For most models, like I said, or there's exceptions to that, right? But so people need to keep that in mind too, because like someone could look at the franchises I own and say, well, Wes, like, man, I don't have any interest owning a shelving business or an insulation business. I don't know anything about it. I'm not handy. And, and thankfully I was fortunate to learn some of this and, you know, coming up in franchising, I knew this. I'm not a handy guy either. I'm the right. last person that should put shelving in someone's house, right. Right? right? I got no interest being in someone's attic dealing with itchy insulation in the middle of summer. Miserable, right? right. right? Not my role in either of those businesses, right? right? We've got great people on our team that are much better suited right. for that, much more capable of that. So that's something people need to, I think, understand is that don't, don't, focus just on the widget of what the franchise does and, and use that to determine, could this be a good business for me or not? Because right. it's usually not the best starting point. So yeah. one other thing I just want to quickly pick your brain on, and then we'll wrap this up. So, so I can let you go. I really appreciate all the time. Sure. Um, I hear this a lot. I know you hear it a lot. I, I think I came across a video or two where, where you were speaking to this a little bit. So for the sake of the podcast and the audience, I'd love to, to kind of hear your, your quick response to this. What do you say to the people when they're like, but, but Dr. Hayes, you know, I, I got to pay all this money up front to start a franchise. And then the greedy franchisors taking a percentage of my revenue indefinitely. And, and there's fees and stuff. Why would I want to do all that? If I really want to be in this business, why wouldn't I just go start it on my own? What's what's you your can go start it on your own and I would <laughs> encourage you to go start it on your own, but I also want you to to go to SBA.gov and do research about the failure rate of startup businesses in America uh, and in other countries as well, because when I teach in other countries, I always look this up. OK, and uh, SBA tells us that uh, year to year um, independent startup businesses in America fail, 50% of them fail within one year of the startup. Okay, and I can tell you why. Uh, and it's not because they run out of money. They do run out of money, but they run out of money because they didn't know what to do. That's right. They didn't know how to market. They didn't know how to source product. They didn't know how to talk to customers. They didn't know how to price it. They didn't know how to build a database. They didn't know what to do, when to do, and how much to do it. And they had no economy of scale because they were the only one in the business. All right, 50% more almost, it's something like another 30% fail within the next four years. So even if you make it past the first year in your business, chances are you won't make it to your fifth anniversary right. in that business. But in franchising, the survival rate is dramatically different. No one knows, and if anyone tries to tell you that, oh, yeah, 90% of franchises succeed, that's a lie. Or it might be true, but nobody knows it. It's, 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 nobody tracks that. The government does not track franchise failure or success in America. Nobody knows that. But every franchisor tracks it, yeah. and every franchisor has to produce a disclosure document. And in that disclosure document, in item 20, you can find out the success or the survival rate of franchises in that system. Yep. And you can use item 20 
to find out if the franchisees are successful by doing what I described um, earlier. So yeah. yeah, go ahead and start it on your own. God bless you. I hope you have a lot of money. And if you don't, and if you're not entrepreneurial and you don't have a stomach for it and you can't afford to risk a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars, then I'd advise you not to go that route and to look at doing it a franchisor's way. So yeah. I have a sister who's an accountant okay. and who's entrepreneurial. And she said, I could never go. I don't want to, I don't want to do it the franchisor's way. If I if I own a little cafe and I want to have a Wednesday special, I don't want to ask the franchisor for permission. Then please, Sue, don't become a franchisee because the franchisor will have something to say about your Wednesday special. But let me tell you this. If the franchisor thought a Wednesday special would make you money and them money, you'd have a Wednesday special. Otherwise, why spend your time worrying about a Wednesday special? Yeah. It makes no sense. And entrepreneurs do that. They got lots of ideas and they're out there doing lots of things. Most people don't have the capacity to do that. It's enough to focus on the five things I need to do today to make myself money today. And the franchisor tells you what to do, when to do it, how much to do. What else do you need? Now, right. if you're going to feel like you're in, well, I'm kind of a simpleton because I'm following some... All right, well then franchising isn't for you. Yeah, I've I mean I've come to think of it in these terms. That's very well said. I, I think it's a very good way of of it's a good perspective, right? Uh in terms of how to look at it starting a franchise compared to a startup. I've come to look at it as investing in a franchise gives you the ability to to run much faster, right? So yes, you do pay a lump sum of money to the franchisor up front, right? But when people are looking at it and saying that's not a that's a reason not to invest in a franchise, they're assuming that if they started that same business on their own, not as a franchise, that they're just they're not going to have some of these expenses to get all the things in place that the franchisor already has in place. Right. I, I agree with you with what you said earlier that you know, turnkeys, maybe not the, the best way to describe it because there's a lot of work that franchisees have to do yeah. to get their business, but it's definitely turnkey in some regards, right? I mean, things oh, yeah. that every business needs in this day and age, a good website, a good brand, a good logo, a good yeah. CRM system, you know, yeah. good technology package. That's all doable on your own, but it's expensive and it takes a lot of time to set all that up yourself, right? You're getting yeah. that handed to you with a franchise you don't have to worry about it right yeah. so in a good franchise i'll use my my wife and i's first franchise business as an example of this we signed franchise agreements in april late march or early april and our business opened on june 1st now this is a service-based business we didn't have to go find a, a retail location and wow. and so it was a quick timeline to open right so Within a couple of months, we're open. We have an operating business, right? We did $35,000 in revenue in our first month in business, right? If we would have said, hey, we're going to start the same business, but do it ourselves because we want to save the $45,000 in franchise fees that we paid, we would have been done any business. six months. We wouldn't right. have even been open, right. right? You know, by the time we'd been open for three or four months, we'd 
generated more than enough revenue to recoup the majority of that franchise fee, right? We're off to the races. So it's opportunity cost. I think that, that people don't really stop to think through enough. People are short-sighted about it. And you know, they've got this hang up about, yet they'll go pay a quarter of a million dollars to join the country club to play golf and play tennis and swim over at the club. And okay. Franchisors, if I had John's tie shop, that's a country club. You want to sell my ties? You want to know how I do it? You want to make the kind of money I make? You got to, you want my advice about real estate? Okay. You got to join the country club. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like that analogy. I haven't I thought of the country club and I, and look, country club's not going to put any money in your pocket when it's all yeah. said and done. Right. Good, exactly. good franchise will. Um, yeah. Well, Dr. Hayes, thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate you making time to do this. I could talk to you for hours. We could probably yeah. fill up 10 podcasts worth of, of uh, conversations here with you today. Yeah, well, let's but- do that. I'm happy to, it's easy. I like talking to you. I, obviously I love young people. I want to help young people. I want to connect young people and, and I have nothing against old people. I'm an old guy. So I, I help old people too, but a lot of us like helping younger generations because uh, you know, we're, this is my swan song. I'm going to do this for maybe five more years and I'm moving on to, to enjoy life a little bit more than I have been. Well, no one can blame you for that. And, and, you know, let me tell you, thank you for what you're doing. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think of myself as that young these days. I mean, 35, got three yeah, kids. That's young, believe there, there's a lot of people younger than me though. Right. And, and I was telling you before we started recording, one of my favorite things about, you know, what I do now is I've been able to help other people my age and younger understand franchising and, and get into franchise businesses themselves. So, you know, I, I really believe in what, you know, you're doing through the Titus Center. I think it's amazing. And uh, I'm happy to, to help in any way that I can. Yeah, great. And, and reciprocate. with the Titus Center. And coming up in November, we've got our next upcoming meeting and I'll, I'll make sure you get an invitation. Please do. I would, I would love to do it, but quickly let people know where can, where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more about the Titus yeah. Center? Uh, okay. We'll post Easy. links in the show notes, but sure. let us know where people can find you. Sure. TitusCenter.com. TitusCenter.com is easy, but I'm uh, also on LinkedIn. Easy to find me there. Easy to find me on Facebook, uh, but it's pretty easy to, 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 to track me down. I've got, I think, 20 books on Amazon about franchising, and I don't think people have any trouble finding me. All right. Well, we'll put some good links in the show notes too, to make it easy for people. But Dr. Hayes, thank you so much. Appreciate everything you're doing. Keep up the great work and thanks for dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Yep. Great. Good luck to you. Bye-bye. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.